Most entrepreneurs struggle to generate more customers and online leads. Lack of quality online leads means lack of revenue, and that's bad for your business. Here at Investing in the US Podcast, we have partnered up with Ardor SEO, who have developed a system to help maximize your business and online exposure. Your experience as a business owner can radically change for the better with the right SEO team. And with Ardor's system, you wouldn't believe how simple it can be. So find out more by heading over to ardorseo.com. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now back into the show. I used to tell people I was a glorified matchmaker and I very quickly realized my second job was emotional support dog because a lot of people buying turnkeys are brand new investors. They, yep. They're fearful and I'm just kind of a safe place. Like I, like I said, I'll tell you like it is. I'll absolutely help you through the whole process. And then even after you own the property, if it's three years later and you have some challenge with your property, call me up and say, Hey, I don't know what to do and I'll help you. So that's really what it's become is it's a very relationship based business is I'm just kind of matchmaking people together at no cost to the investor. So I'm a free service and, um, yeah, just really helping people in the turnkey space because for, I know turnkeys for me did so much that I want other people to be able to take advantage of them also because it is a really unique investing opportunity. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ali Boone. Ali is a former aerospace engineer and the owner of Hipster Investments, a business that has facilitated over $18 million in real estate investment sales in its first five years. 
Her specialty is teaching people about the power of passive investing and how to use it towards creating a life by design and financial security. Ali started a turnkey rental property business that allows entrepreneurs and real estate investors to earn passive income by owning rental properties from properties from all over the country. And even as large as her real estate business has grown, she's still very much location independent. I'm pretty excited and pumped to have her on the show with me today to share her incredible knowledge. But enough of me. Let's get her out here. Hey, <laughs> Ali. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How about you? I think we're sharing uh, equal weather situations right now. Yeah, Kinda it's a little bit oddly a little bit rainy. rainy and dreary for LA. Exactly. Yeah, I was just saying in the green room, you are in Venice, just down the road from mm-hmm. me. You're in my backyard. Well, I can't believe yep. we haven't we haven't met you. Maybe I feel like I could just like toss a little stone over and be like, "Hey." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but Ali, I ask all my guests when they jump on the mm-hmm. show to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Ooh, the first ever dollar as a kid. Um, funny story. I actually think the first dollar I ever made was to, so there were two things about me as a kid. Number one, I hated making my bed. And number two, I hated reading. Um, one of those has changed since then. I'll let you guess which one. Um, but uh, so my my parents, I almost started kind of a hustle of my mom wanted me to read like 30 minutes or an hour a day uh, and I wouldn't do it. And so she started to offer to pay me. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And I also want to make my bed and she offered to start paying me like a dollar to make my bed. And I was like, okay. So I think my first official hustle was hustling my parents. But after that, <laughs> after that, like, you know, when real, uh, you know, income and taxes and stuff come into play, I actually started out waiting tables. And I'll tell you what, I freaking loved waiting tables. I don't know if it'd be the same today, but I loved it. So I was, uh, I guess I started when I was like 15 as a hostess and moved into table waiting. And, you know, not your typical uh, entrepreneur, you know, hustle at age 10, but worked for me well look you bring up uh something very close to my heart my parents cursed me by calling me reed uh i also had uh <laughs> a reading issues or, or lack thereof interest uh, uh, and, and, and no. in my senior years of high school definitely had to sort of double down and, and now i love reading uh, or at least mm-hmm. i force myself to read every day but yeah my uh, being being i was named after lou reed even though it's not r-e-a-d uh uh-huh. i definitely had problems in my my primary school in remedial reading classes yeah so very funny that we both have the same yeah. same issues well, the good right, is, is eventually so my we'll talk more about my career but my entrepreneurship and investing actually really kind of launched from reading so it turned out that whole time i just needed to be reading business and finance and like self-growth books you know right. here i am trying to like read fiction and all that that never works so yeah. i've got bookshelves full of all the books that kind of got me where i am today but and my parents later down the road they were like seriously now you're reading i was like I think it's still a trigger point for them. (laughs) But I also liked how you said you enjoyed waiting tables. I think it's a great, um, it's a great way to really appreciate the value of a dollar. Like Mm -hmm. having to hustle, be on your feet for eight, nine, 10 hours of a night, people being dicks to you in the back Mm -hmm. with the, you know, the hot, you know, some grill and trying to just, you know, survive through the shift. And it's, uh, I know whoever's been in hospitality, myself included, um, it is a grind, but it definitely makes you appreciate that dollar. And, Mm -hmm thus appreciate going to university. So you want to walk me through the, the whole aerospace engineering? What happened there? Oh, you, you went to <laughs> <nothing> school. <good. laughs> 
I did structural engineering. Aerospace was a whole nother caliber uh-huh. of, uh, of smart. So, um, so tell me, tell me where, where'd you go and why'd you love it? Well, I'll be honest. I don't know that I even know that much about aerospace engineering, despite my degree that would uh, suggest that I do. So what happened was I went to university for the first couple of years, totally majored in partying 101. Like I don't even remember most of that time. Um, and at some point my uh, aviation was in my family a lot. And there was a lot of talk of me becoming a pilot. And at some point I was like, well, yeah, that sounds about like me. So there were two other universities who had professional pilot programs. I transferred into one of them to become a professional pilot. And it took me moving to that school and getting into that major. And I kind of sat back one day and I was like, wait a minute, if I have a degree in professional pilot, what if I ever not want to be a professional pilot? Like all of a sudden it was super limiting. And at this point, you know, airlines paid bupkis to start. And I was like, something about this just isn't quite, uh, and the major I was in was aerospace and they had different concentrations, right? So the professional pilot was one of them. And I kind of started looking around. I was like, well, you know, I could go get my pilot ratings elsewhere and major in something. So I have a little diversity. And there was a, um, it was called engineering technology, which I mm-hmm. later learned the difference between engineering and engineering technology. But I switched into that because my, my mindset was, oh, well, it'll pay way more. It will be a lot more diverse and look better on my resume. And it's got to be the same thing as flying, right? <laughs> Not even a little bit. So I got that degree. It was my bachelor's, but then it turned out to get an engineering job, which you probably know I needed an ABET accredited. I needed a degree from an accredited engineering school. And so I didn't have my engineering technology wasn't accredited. So uh, the obvious choice was to go get a master's degree at an accredited engineering school. Well, picture that I walked in having basically no background. I had done engineering stuff and I had done a lot of math, but as you know, as an engineer, engineering is like explaining things via math. And I never really put those two things together. And so (laughs) to say my, uh, my grad degree in aerospace engineering was less than graceful would be putting it very nicely, but I, I snuck out with it. (laughs) Did, Did you finish the master's? Yeah, I not gracefully, but I did. I actually failed out first with, but I only had like two classes and research left. So I basically stood at their door and I was like, hi, hi, let me back in. Hi. And I just stood there and annoyed them until they let me back in. They were like, oh dear God. So they let me back in. I graduated and actually it was about, um, I actually got hired into my first aerospace engineering job. I'm pretty sure the semester before I graduated, um, the job I got hired into, they actually needed somebody who was a pilot because turns out there's not as much crossover between engineering and flying as one would have thought. So I was kind of a unique skill set. So they actually brought me on pretty quick to be a liaison between the engineers and the pilots. And Mm. so, yeah, I actually started that uh, career path before I finished my master's, but then I finished the master's. Awesome. And so can you fly, um, I guess not commercial, is it commercial? No, um, private, uh, smaller planes. Yep. I actually teach it. So I have a commercial pilot's license, but uh, that's just, I'm allowed to be hired. Um, like I don't fly commercial airlines. I've never had like a real flying job, but I teach it as like a fun side hustle out of Santa Monica, which is super fun. Although, um, you know, it's, it's going to be it, shut down. It, yeah, it's, it's well, and I mean, and actually it's kind of a good thing to talk about because that's, it's part of what prompted me into where I am now is that I always loved flight instructing, but the pay, the pay is good, but the hours are terrible. And so I knew that I never wanted to 
be a flight instructor reliant on the income because I was afraid I would start resenting the job and the, the fun that I was having doing it. So I had it in my head. I was like, someday I want a job where something else pays my bills and I can go do this for fun. So when I say it's like a fun side hustle, that is very intentional because I've always wanted to keep it fun and never be dependent on the income. So that's, that's a lot of what kind of drove me forward after that. Interesting. Interesting. Actually, uh, a friend of mine who flies for Hong Kong Air, he had a layover here a couple of last year and we actually went out in Torrance Airport and it was blowing a gale over Palos, I think Palos Verdes. <laughs> yeah. And this little plane was like taken uh-huh. off and I, you know, I'm, I'm tall, I'm six foot two and my knees kept hitting this little, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the steering wheel, we're just going to call it a steering wheel, it's not the steering yeah. wheel, but, it, and I'm like, oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to knock it. And it's, <laughs> that's built in the 1950s. Rip, and like, the, rip the elevators off the plane. <laughs> I know. And, and then as we're landing, it's coming in and just like, just like, cause these things are so small compared to mm-hmm. the big stuff. And it's like, it was sort of like a paper airplane trying to land in <laughs> yeah. this dust, like on an angle. Like and the last crooked. minute, boom, he just, he just like straightens it up. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to get back <gasps> up there. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm breathing. Yeah, no, but I, I've got a lot of aviation is in, in my family as well. The, uh, my, my mm-hmm. cousin is actually a pilot for China Eastern, China Southern, one of the China. Okay, yeah. Um, and flew for Emirates. My sister was a, a, nice. host, a hostess for a little bit of time. So anyway, nice. but, but, but enough about that. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of what you do. You have mm-hmm. Hipster Investments. So yep. tell me the name Hipster. Where does that come from? <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, I'm still self-conscious about that name. I'm not a hipster by any stretch of the imagination. Hippie-ish, maybe. But, you know, it's funny with hipster. Right? Do what? Woo-woo, we call it. Oh, totally woo. Yeah, all <laughs> about the woo. Um, you know, it's so when I was, so my company, the the job I was doing, it kind of started before I had an official company, right? Like it became a side hustle while I was doing my engineering job. And at some point I was like, wow, this is getting serious. I need to make it a company. So here came the time to figure out a company name. And, you know, there were just all these name possibilities and this hipster investments just kept ringing in my head. And I, when it would happen, I'd be like, stupid and keep going and like think of all these kind of whatever names. And it just kept ringing in my head. And I ran it by a couple of people and they're like, no, <laughs> like, why would you do that? I was like, I don't know either, but I will tell you what. The reason I decided to do it in the first place, and then there turned out to be another benefit. The reason I started doing it in the first place is like, as you probably know, in the real estate investing industry, it is a stuffy, intimidating industry. Mm-hmm. Like there is everyone and their moms trying to tell you what you should be doing and how to do it. And all these companies that sound fancy and then they're total scams. Like the whole thing is like mind blowing. Right. And what I did know, even before I knew the name is that I wanted to be a name and a face that people could just relaxed with. Like I wanted to be a real person in an otherwise stuffy industry. And at that point I had started writing online and like, you know, I was my, I was getting a little bit more known at the time. And the thing about hipster, I was like, this could go very wrong if I do it wrong, but people are probably just going to click on it to be like, like what, what in the world? And I knew if they clicked on it and went to something really cheesy, that that wasn't going to work at all. But if I could make a really legit company it was going to trigger people to click on it if for no other reason to say, what in the world could this be? And it worked because if you, you know, scroll through all these real estate company names and it's like, I don't care what someone's last name is. Like, I don't know what it means, but like you see something like hipster investments, it's like head scratcher. I don't know. But so that was the intention with it. And I was like, well, here we go. (laughs) I was like, I I like it. I, I, I'm very much, uh, 
I'm in my mid early thirties, I should say mid thirties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I dress like this to go to work. If you don't, can't see me, yeah. click, click on the YouTube channel. I've got a brick wall behind me. I love my flat whites. <laughs> I'm very much a ca- coffee snob. I just don't have a, ma- oh, a no, man bun. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, I, I appreciate the woo woo-ness as well because uh-huh. it's, it's definitely something that can resonate and, and something that is ultimately a brand recognition that you've really le- leaned into, right? You sort of said, screw yeah. I'm going to, I like the fact that you were like, I want brand recognition. I want people to not feel stuffy around me or, yeah. feel, or have to wear a suit and a tie. And well, I think and, that- and to that point and kind of like what you're saying about how you like the name, what later ended up happening, which I was not expecting at all. I honestly think the name of the company has turned out to be the best thing that's ever happened to the company because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can't work with everybody, right? And this, I mean, this kind of goes for life. You can't please everybody. And so if I have a gigantic pool of people and I can't work with everybody, I might as well work with the people who I kind of jive with. And what I later figured out, you know, because I became a big writer in the real estate uh, industry and there were a lot of forums outside of the ones that I was writing for where I, I even, there was one that had a whole thread bashing me and my company. And I was like, I've never even worked with these people. I don't even know who they are. But it, it, seeing that prompted me to read more of the forums on that website. And I realized that there's a whole slew of people that would hate everything about me and what I stand for and what I work with and whatever. And that's perfectly fine. But what the name ended up doing is automatically filtering those people out. Because right. if you think hipster investments is the stupidest name on the planet, cool. Like yeah. you're going to save me so much stress by not working with you. And you know, a lot of people are totally neutral about it. They don't care one way or another, but a lot of people love it. And the people who love it, those are my people. Cause it's like, I'm not trying to do the norm. I'm not trying to fit into like some status quo. Like it has become the biggest client filter because for me and my business, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I send people to other companies. And if I send a bunch of assholes, if I can cuss to these, yeah, companies, sure. they're going to get mad at me. Mm-hmm. So like it, it became this cool client filter. I was not expecting. And the people I get to talk to and work with and hang out with, like, it has really made the company like so that, you know, you said the branding, the branding has been huge and Nate and, and hipster actually, it is a pretty um, accurate term because, you know, we, we kind of flip real estate on its head. We don't do the normal stuff. We're, we're kind of rebels. We, you know, go against the status quo. So it attracts those people who would be interested in that versus like these super type A just jerk offs trying to like, you know, whatever they're trying to do. And I'm like, I'm not in this to, I'm more about the relationships and the people than every single dollar. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's, it, it turned out really cool. Again, I'm still super self-conscious about the name. Cause I'm like, do I seriously name it's like seven or eight years later <laughs> or say eight, I don't know, eight years later. I'm like, do I really name my company that? But it is, it, I honestly attribute most of the success to the business to that name because it, it just kind of set a tone of exactly what I was wanting. I think you, the, the big lesson here for me and for the, probably the audience is that you have to, you, you just said it, it's more about relationships and people and people who you yeah. want to work with. If you're going to do a business or start a business or create mm-hmm. something from nothing, you've got to make it worthwhile and you've got to make it fun. Right? And yeah. what's the point of trying to pretend to be something you're not? Yeah. And if it, if it, if it resonates with you, um, if it's, you know, from a branding point of view, then do it because you yeah. are going to be able to, to your point, you're going to be out of weed at a lot of dickheads um, who yeah. you just don't want to work with. And yeah. I, I think that I say all the time is um, I've got to be able to have a beer with you if I'm going to do business. Like, yeah. And I can know from my backpacking days that I, I get pretty quick at like, 
seeing if we're going to click within like the first 30 seconds of meeting. And Mm -hmm. so we'll be able to determine like, okay, can we have a beer or not? If we can't have a beer, like, and I can, I've got that filter on pretty quick. I'm like, get the hell out of here. We don't need to do any business. So yeah. It's so critical. Like I, I, um, as much as I preach against landlording your own properties, I actually, I actually landlord a property local to me now in Venice and it's a duplex. I have two tenants. And when I, when we bought the property a couple of years ago, I inherited a tenant in one unit, which was God awful. Um, but when I, when it came time to place tenants, replace her and then place people in the other one, I, I, I told, uh, my partners and then like my agent, I was like, listen, I have to talk to the people because like, I can look at their applications. I can whatever, but I have to vibe with, them. I'm with you. Like if I can't have not to say I'm going to have beers with my tenants. Cause I do have, you know, well, I lied. I've totally had beers. <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I'm not naively trying to like become really good friends with my tenants, but right. it is that like, can we sit down and chill and have, you know, a beer? Mm-hmm. And one of the old tenants, one of the first, the first one I played, she was so cool. Even my parents were in town one day and we all went over there and she gave us whiskey that she had imported from somewhere. So we're sitting there, you know, just like, it's, so it's the same thing where like, and I never ran like a criminal check on any of these people. Like right. I checked their numbers, I checked their whatever, but it's so much about that conversation ability and yeah, like I I'm on landlord forums and all that kind of stuff. And I just hear what everyone's going through. And I'm like, I mean, I just checked the vibe, <laughs> but I'm not going to say that. Cause it'll be like, wow, loser. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fine. You keep checking the credit scores all you want to. Right. I, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. No, so, yeah, so, so, so let's get into what you do. You know, we spoke a little bit in the introduction. I said, um, turnkey investments. So where did you yep. start out the business from? And you mentioned that you refer people. So yep. how did you know that you had this business of referring people? And did you start doing your own deals and trying to do your own turnkey investments? Yep. Um, where did it blossom from? Yeah, pretty much. So I was in my corporate engineering job. And from the first day I ever walked in that job, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like mm-hmm. I knew I was like, wow, I'm glad I just went through all that schooling for to nothing. hate this. Yep. Yeah, nothing. Um, and so towards the end of that career, I was I had been in researching everything. I was like, do I start a business? Do I invest in real estate? What, what do I do to get out of this nine to five type of thing? And I had some other thoughts, but this random real estate investment opportunity dropped in my inbox. I pursued it. It was not turnkeys. It was something totally different, but through, and I was like, well, while I still have my corporate job, I might as well start investing because I have a W2 paycheck, which means I qualify for financing. Cause I'm not mm-hmm. going to, if I leave this job and so I was like, well, I'll, I'll just be smart with the money I have now while I have it. So I pursued that investment deal. And through that deal, I started meeting other people in the industry. And that's when turnkey. So this was around, this was in 2011, which means the crash had been going on for a year and a half, two years, something like that. And turnkeys have been around for a long time, but that crash was really kind of when they, they, they boomed and they became a thing. And so these people that I met were working with these things called turnkey rental properties. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't really care, but whatever. And it turned out that the next big market they were going to work with turnkeys in was Atlanta and I'm from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Oh, well maybe I suddenly like turnkeys tell me more. And so again, I still had this mindset of while I have a good paycheck, I might as well start investing. So I started buying turnkey rental properties for myself and you know, all that people saw when they saw me doing this, they were like, wait a minute. What, what do you mean you're buying rental properties? First of all, 2,200 miles away from where you live. And second, you're not like rehabbing. You're not, wait, tell me more. Cause you know, I, if you're anything like me, I grew up thinking like, 
oh, you buy the distressed, you know, you you find motivated sellers, you negotiate deals, you find the distressed property, you rehab it, and then you put tenants in it, and then you become the landlord. And I'm like, that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> and, and that, it sounded so terrible. It kept me out of real estate for a long time. But suddenly with turnkeys, all of those things are done for you. You're just buying the finished product. And then you have a cash flowing rental property. And so when people saw that I was buying cash flowing rental properties, and I wasn't swinging a single hammer, they're like, please tell me what you're doing. And so I just started telling people, my cousin bought one, my mom's friend bought one. Um, and I was just so stinking excited. It was so fun for me. It was like shopping and, I'm, and I, it became addictive pretty quickly. And so it caught on so much. I was telling so many people about this that some of the players that I was working with kind of said, listen, you know, you're already sending a ton of people to us. If you'll go get your license, your real estate license, we can pay you referral fees. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, well, that seems like easy, fun side money to my corporate job while I try and figure out my way out of my corporate job being, you know, pretty smart at the time. I wasn't putting two and two together of this was going to be my way out of corporate. And so I started doing that, got my license, and then I became a writer for Bigger Pockets, the website, and that just, it launched everything. And so I transitioned from being the the buyer of turnkey properties, which is a pretty unique thing because usually when people are trying to sell you things, they're just selling them to you. I actually bought them. And so when I started all of this, I would tell everyone, I was like, listen, I'm not going to send you to any company that I haven't either personally bought through myself or I trust so much I would send my mother there. And I had someone say one time, which was good clear. They said, can I just clarify how much do you like your mother? <laughs> I was like, Touche. <laughs> I like her very much. So, um, you know, that became really the basis for this is this all started before it was a company. And so here I was suddenly everyone's asking me because, you know, like I said earlier, I was really trying to just be a casual face in the game. And so I wanted to be able to tell people, listen, my name's Allie. I live in California. I bought these things I really like. That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. And I'll tell if you, you know, all I can tell you is that I like them. And so if you want to know more, I can tell it to you, whatever. And that was, that was really what started this is I just wanted to be a trustworthy person. Like if you, you know, I have people reach out to me sometimes and they're like, I think I want to buy a turnkey. I'm like, well, tell me about your situation. And then I'll be the first to tell you, like, I don't think a turnkey is for you. And that's all I sell. Like I, I will sooner, you know, I I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. And, you know, and I've, I've kept that going for the eight years, however long we've been in business is I'm going to tell it to you like it is. And so that's always been my stance. And that's how it all developed is it be, it just absolutely took off to help people. So really what that translates into now is I help people buy turnkey rental properties. And that is finding the good companies to buy them from helping through the buying process, being kind of, I used to tell people I was a glorified matchmaker and I very quickly realized my second job was emotional support dog because a lot of people buying turnkeys are brand new investors. They yep. they're fearful and I'm just kind of a safe place. Like I, like I said, I'll tell you like it is, I'll absolutely help you through the whole process. And then even after you own the property, if it's three years later and you have some challenge with your property, call me up and say, Hey, I don't know what to do. And I'll help you. So that's really what it's become is it's a very relationship based business is I'm just kind of matchmaking people together at no cost to the investor. So I'm a free service and, um, yeah, just really helping people in the turnkey space because for, I know turnkeys for me did so much that I want other people to be able to take advantage of them also, because it is a really unique investing opportunity. 
It, it is a great way to start and a lot of people do start there. And when I moved out to the United States in 2012, a lot of our international ah, folks were, yeah. were, were buying it. Um, didn't get a great name back in Australia because of all the, the sharks are in, they're all, that's not bit around the bush. There's definitely sharks in the turnkey space. And um, I'm especially great. in 2012. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, so I, that was not an easy time. I, I, yeah. I, I can imagine, but, but, but how has it evolved over time? Like how do you still be profitable in turnkey space when Deals are getting thinner. Um, yeah. I know at least on the multifamily commercial side, it's getting thinner. I'm surely in the turnkey, yeah. which is just as, is probably a thousand more people, a thousand times more people involved yeah. because it's such a lower barrier to entry. So how has that evolved in the last seven to eight years? Uh, and now we can talk a little bit and we'll get into COVID-19 in a little bit, but yeah. how, how, how has it evolved for you in the business from sourcing good quality, what I call Kraken deals to make sure they are worth their salt? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say over the like seven, eight years, um, it's evolved in two different directions, in a better direction and in a worse direction. The worst direction being just kind of, as you suggested, prices have gone sky high compared to, you know, people will reach out and they're like, Hey, what were the numbers you got on your turnkeys when you first started buying? I was like, you don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like you would never get the returns that I got. So that's the downside is back in 2009, 10, 11 and 12, 12, the end of 2012 is when the prices kind of started shifting a little bit. Not dra- I remember I was in Atlanta at the end of 2012 and literally overnight, all the property prices went up $20,000. It was mm. overnight. It was crazy. Um, and so the downside of turnkeys over the evolution is that they are more expensive now, which means your cash flow is going to be a lot lower. You know, back in the day, I was able to do partnerships because the margins were so high that it was easy to split them. That's not as easy now. Um, the good news is you still can get positive cash flow, but it's, you're just, the margins aren't the same as they used to be. On the good side of the evolution, uh, kind of also what I alluded to is in those years when it was an absolute feeding frenzy, uh, like I mean, hedge funds were buying like crazy, you know, the price to rent ratios were crazy. Everybody wanted these properties. Well, that was incentive for any Joe Blow to start their own turnkey company. So there were a lot of turnkey companies and most of those are non-existent today because they were so terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you suggest like the, I, when I started, um, my company, I was actually working a lot with international investors, Australia, uh, the UK, Canadians. And um, I had a couple, like what I would do is I had brokers in those countries who them and I would communicate. I would connect them, get them all set up on the turnkeys. They would pitch the international investors. And that was a big thing back then is that so many international investors were getting absolutely burned because these shady turnkey companies would know that they're never going to come see the property. And those investors weren't doing property diligence at all. And so that it, it made turnkeys look a little sketchy because of how many people were getting away with doing that. Mm-hmm. The good side about that now is because it's no longer a feeding frenzy, all of those, I don't even want to call them shady because some of them weren't even intentionally shady. They just weren't that good. The turnkey providers who withstood that whole time and are still around today are pretty good. Like, you know, there's exceptions here and there where there's still been a couple of catastrophes, but for the most part, the remaining turnkey companies who have been in business now for so long are pretty legit. Like it's just easier to find a legit, good, solid, reputable turnkey company to work with. Whereas in, you know, nine, 10, 11 and 12, you know, you better have some, a team behind you because you have no idea <laughs> what, you know, it was just, it was fast moving and it was hard hitting, but it, that's eased up a lot. 
Investing in the US podcast is proudly sponsored by ardorseo.com. Online marketing for your business shouldn't be a headache, and that's why the guys over at Ardor SEO have created a no-hassle system that will increase your online traffic, increase your leads, and generate predictable and reliable revenue. So what are you waiting for? Head over to ardorseo.com and find out more. That's A-R-D-O-R-S-E-O.com. Now, back into the show. I can, no, I can imagine for sure that that, and, and I was sort of, I got my, I actually bought my first property. It wasn't turnkey. It was a section eight rental in upstate mm-hmm. New York. Um, but it saw a lot of people go down the turnkey path for me being the, knowing that I wanted to always be the operator on, on my own ship. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I wanted to go do it myself. And so um, how has the volume of buyers changed over the years with the lower returns because it's surely lower, it sure. is lower. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so is your business, is it, I wouldn't say slowing down, is it evolving into different types of asset classes um, in terms it, of turnkey? Yeah, it's, um, it definitely slowed down for sure just because it's not a feeding frenzy. Like there's still tons of people buying um, one, you know, over time, because one of the things we've had to look at on the selling side is at what point are there not going to really be any margins to support turnkeys? Right. And five years ago, six years ago, I was actually worried that there'd be no turnkeys to offer anymore, depending on how everything went. And the reality hasn't really panned out like that. Like there's still a lot of markets that have completely solid cash flow. I mean, we're talking like seven to nine percent cap rates versus in 2011 when I started it was like a 14 to 15 to 16 percent cap rate so that's just absurdly good seven to nine percent really isn't bad at all so there are still those opportunities which has been nice there's um thoughts of looking into new construction but new construction comes in with a whole different kind of um we're not ruling it out by any means but we just haven't found there's a lot that can go a little wonky with new construction um the the biggest evolution with what i work with is there's uh the short version of this is there's the standard turnkey model so you find a turnkey provider you look through their properties you're like i want that one you put it under contract they have done all the rehab work they everything is on their dime they've done all the work they get the tenant in the rehab's done you do your due diligence verify the property inspection verify the tenants you verify everything and then you close on the property which is really the first time you're putting money into the deal so you're not paying for anything until you've verified everything a I don't know if I don't want to call it a newer model, but a slightly different model of that, which is what we're working with a lot now because of where we are with the market is where it's the same model, but instead of the turnkey provider buying the distressed property, funding the rehab and all that you are. So you're combining the traditional value add model with the turnkey model. So you're funding it just like as if you were going to, what's the Burr model buy rehab rent, refi, repeat, whatever the god awful acronym is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you're combining that model with the turnkey model, that value add model. The big thing is that you, uh, once you put all that money into it, in theory, the property should be worth more than what you put into it once the rehab and all that's done. Whereas turnkeys, you're basically paying market value, which is right. kind of the problem today because market value is pretty high. So and, and also there's no build up equity that you can do with the Burr model. Exa- right? Yeah, you can't you don't um, build that equity over yeah. time. The turn yeah, the turnkey, there's nothing to improve. So you right. can't really do anything. And yep. so uh, this revised model is the turnkey company is still doing all of the work for you. So you're still pretty hands off other than basic due diligence, but you're funding it. Uh, from the start. I don't recommend it for brand new investors because it's just a lot riskier, right? Like Mm -hmm. if that guy takes your money and moves to the Caribbean, well, you know, like it's, it's, 
it's it's a little more aggressive, but there are a lot of benefits to it. It does require more capital up front, but that's a model that we've been working with a lot lately because the cap rates are translating into anywhere between like eight and 10%. I've seen a couple of 11s, which is absurd. And um, you're also getting that forced appreciation on the front end. So, but it is still in the turnkey realm because you're hands off and you can live in California while you do it on the East Coast. Right. So that's been the biggest evolution to um, kind of make up for where we are in the market. And like, you know, what's about to happen with the market. I don't know if we hit crash status again, you know, I don't, I don't know what our future holds, but I'm putting a helmet on and I'm, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but the, 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 the seven to eight to 10 to 12% cap rates, what type of markets are you investing? I can only imagine being the experienced investor that I am because I have bought uh, in, in Syracuse, New York, it was a 12% yep. cap rate, but it also was section eight housing in a, in a mm -hmm. what I figured out very quickly was a ghetto for a white faced Australian boy. Yeah. Uh, realizing that we're rubbing shoulders with uh, something that I've never experienced before. So are you in the lower socioeconomic neighborhoods to, to get not those types usually. of cap rates? One of the big things we really strive for is to make sure we're not going too low. I think the lowest we'll typically go is like C plus neighborhoods. So uh, the higher cap rates, like the eight to 10 and 11 with the, with the alternate model, that's all in Baltimore. Baltimore is mm -hmm. fantastic for cash flow, And those, those, I actually went, I was touring those properties a couple months ago or something. I was never in an area that I felt unsafe. And Baltimore, especially, if you get into an unsafe area, you're in a really unsafe area. So they're very strategic in where they're buying. Um, I think those probably got as uh, maybe still about C plus at the worst. Um, you know, there's always going to be a trade off. Like that 11% cap rate, my, I think it, one of them was even a triplex. And so like, if you get a triplex in Baltimore, you are increasing your risk because it's a different kind of set of tenants and whatever. And that might be why it's an 11% cap rate versus if you get like a property in a B or B minus area or something, um, you might get say the eight or 9%, but it's that trade off. So um, there are most of the markets we work in are either in the Midwest or East coast, uh, East coast right now, we're doing that alternate model in Baltimore a little bit in Philly, but Philly is really kind of an appreciation play at this point. There's not, cash flow is not really there right now. And uh, the biggest market we've been working in lately is Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's been mm. really fun because it's multifamily, they have multifamily turnkeys, residential, you know, no more than four units. Um, and that's just been kind of fun change of pace. Midwest, uh, we did Chicago for a while. There's a lot of property tax drama there and among other things. So it's not as big of a hotbed. Indianapolis has been going strong for years. Kansas City, uh, we do a little bit in St. Louis. Um, but pretty much all the turnkey, because for a, a market to be a turnkey market, there has to be cash flow. And you're not right. going to get that on the West Coast anywhere. So it's really the Southeast East Coast, kind of strategically, not like Boston or New York anymore. And what are, what are you sort of, um, what's the price what price per door that you're buying these things? I could imagine I'd that between average, 50 to 100,000. Yeah. The lowest we'll work with, uh, I don't know what the lowest we have right now, but the lowest I'll work with is about 75,000. Um, and even that, like, I'm like, if you have a couple extra dollars, go up just a little, you know, like if I yeah. had a preference, I'd not go below 90 really, because then again, you're in this trade-off of, when you go for the cheaper seventy five thousand for a freshly rehabbed house, says something. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be in, a, in 
yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're not going to be grand. <laughs> minus the location. You're probably going to have a little bit more on the maintenance side. So, you know, it's, it's where your personal preference. I, I'm a fan of no headaches. I want zero headaches. And so I'm willing to go up on the price a little bit more to get something that'll hopefully attract slightly higher end tenants, a little bit better neighborhood. But I'd say the hot spot with the turnkeys now, about 75,000 to no more than about 150. Occasionally there might be something a little bit more, but I, you know, really the sweet spot, like a hundred, I'd say 90 to 120 is going to be most of them, um, which is great. You know, we live in California. You can't even buy a toilet here for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Like, bring Wait, up- I get a whole house. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly what I thought when I first moved here. And it's funny mm-hmm. you brought, you brought up Baltimore because uh, one of the first rears that I went to was in New York Korea and we mm-hmm. did a weekend educational tour in 2012 to Baltimore. Oh. My gosh, it was uh, <laughs> no wonder they were $15,000. I had ready, ready to write a checkbook, but when I rocked up, these row houses were completely empty and yeah. it was like the re you, it was a stark reality of why mm-hmm. and I'd just not been experienced what a, what this sort of complete shutdown of a neighborhood looks like. Like how yeah. are you going to, if you're just going to buy one of these $15,000 properties, how you, the rest of the neighborhood, the rest of the street was completely empty. You're not going to well, attract that's the any thing. neighbors. Like the, the provider I work with, they, first of all, they'll never buy a $15,000 property, but, but this is 2012. They, oh so. yeah. Baltimore is totally different then. But even if you go to Baltimore now and even Philadelphia still with the row houses, you'll still see a whole like chunk on a street that are completely condemned. And I asked them one time, I was like, well, why don't you just like buy all of those up? And so much about it is not even just the property itself, but like if you buy one property on that, and this is where it, turnkeys are a little bit advantageous because you have people with buying power who could buy the whole street and fix the whole street. If you're an individual investor and you're like, oh, hey, that property is only $15,000 and it looks like, you know, I could probably rehab it decent. Well, if you're now one of one livable property amongst like six abandoned decrepit properties it's not going to work and so even when i was just i was out there a couple months ago or a month ago or something and he was pointing some of those out even still and they won't they won't touch them you know Mm. and that you know 2012 baltimore for sure would have had a lot of those but there's so much strategy that goes into i mean down to the street by street of which property and you know even back in the day when turnkeys were really, I mean, my first turnkey was $55,000 and it was adorable. Two stories, freshly rehabbed, cute little yellow house. Even then I wouldn't touch a $15,000 property with a 10 foot pole. And you know, people see Detroit and they're like, Oh, I can get a property for $15,000. I'm like, why do you think it's (laughs) (laughs) $15,000? But, but to your point of like $75,000 all in for a turnkey, for the provider mm-hmm. to make it worth their while with all their labor costs, I'm sure they'd have to be picking it up for at least ten or fifteen thousand bucks to make the profit on the back end of seventy five thousand. Honestly, uh, it completely depends on how much of a rehab they have to do. But there's a couple of factors in it. First of all, the turnkey providers. Um, now that I've been on the selling side for so many years, people think that the turnkey providers make bukus of money per deal, and they really don't. Like I've seen their margins be as small as like five thousand dollars, and like that's not a lot when somebody, you know, they're essentially flipping a house and they're Mm -hmm. making $5,000 like, wow. Okay. So that's one thing is their margins usually aren't as high as people think they are. And second, the turnkey provider talk about buying power is you have to think about it like as a in bulk, like if you go buy peanut butter at 
a grocery store versus peanut butter at Costco, what happens? Because when you buy in bulk, you get everything cheaper. Well, the individual investors can't, they don't really have that buying power because it's like, oh, I'm going to go flip a house or, you know, whatever. And, but they have to pay, you know, if they go to Home Depot for all the supplies, they, they don't get any bulk discounts because they're not doing bulk. The turnkey providers are. So whereas, you know, flipping this particular house for an individual investor might cost this much money, it may cost half to two thirds of it for the turnkey provider because they're using the same paint, the same carpet, the same hardwoods, the same materials. So they get to buy everything in bulk and because they're moving so fast, they can, they're really moving at bulk speed, which, so they are putting, you know, it costs them a lot less to do the same thing that it would probably cost you to do. So that, you know, there's a couple of players in there for sure. You know, but, I, I, but ultimately, just kind of a note on the price is that there's a thing going around now, like, I think people have used the word, they say, like, you're going to pay a premium for turnkeys. Premium actually means you're going to pay about market value. It doesn't mean pay a premium on top of market value, which is a m- big misconception going on right now. But to that point is the turnkey provider has to figure out the pricing because they can't charge more than market value for the property with some some companies would argue that, but you know, when you're talking about residential properties, you, you, it has to be in line with the market period. So if the company can't get it for that much cheaper than market, they're not going to, they can't, you know, they, they have to be really strategic in that because you know, that's kind of a protection for you as the buyer is that, you know, if, if your property appraises $150,000, they can't charge you 200,000 for it. So You know, that's part of the also, you know, when you're keeping in mind of how they're pricing everything and their margins and how this is all working, you have some protection on your end just because of how residential real estate works. Yeah, no, 100%. And then on the other side is that it's not a, you, you're probably investing in neighborhoods and areas that aren't true appreciation plays. Like you say, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a Venice or Tons. it's not, you know, turning into a Philly, which I've also flipped houses in Philly back in the day. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely have seen the, the, the street by street, the block by block type of analogy. And, and it, 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 you've got to go in there with your eyes wide open and understand what yeah. you're buying. And, and I think the working with people like yourself are really important because they're, yeah. you're the folks who can help people point them in the right direction because because yeah. as you said at the beginning, these are newbie guys and newbie guys can, no offense, can be a little bit of a pain uh, in the ass. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. So, I said my, my company name has done a lot of filtering and say so did all of the filtering. <laughs> <laughs> but another emotional thing, support dog claim. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But another thing is, is also if you can, and, and based on my experience with, because I had a few smaller, really cheap properties when I first moved to the United States, all with my own cash. What I found was when I was able to get two, three, four in a little pool, I was able to diversify the risk. And that helped me, um, you know, when I had a drive-by shooting at one of my properties, which I did, uh, (laughs) like back in the day, it was sort of just like, but I figured it out on my own. And that's, I guess it's a message and a lesson that I learned is like, you also got to look at what you're buying and then how Mm -hmm. is that property management making money and how are they placing tenants and if you're one and they've got a thousand other properties, are, they, are you the, the as big as, you know, are you attracting a lot of their yeah. attention? So having more properties will attract more of their attention, will attract their better staff, will attract yep. their better tenants. So it's all in scale. And so do you ever give any advice if people can buy more than one to try and do oh, that yeah. because you get to diversify a little bit within that neighborhood? Yeah. Um, I think the most common question I get is they're like, uh, I want to buy two properties. So, you know, I work with turnkey providers in various markets. I'm like, what do you want? Chicago, Baltimore, you know, what, what you feeling? And they're like, well, I have enough money to buy two. What do you recommend? And I say, you know, if you're first starting, 
if I, if it were me personally and I could, had the money to buy two of them, I would buy one in one market from one provider and I'd buy another one in another market from another provider, give it six months or a year, see which one I like more, the best or have the best luck with, and then buy more of that. So, you know, that's an advantage of the turnkey model is that you don't have to just buy, because like if you go do this all yourself and you go to Chicago for it, you're going to build a team in Chicago. Well, how are you going to expand into other markets? Mm -hmm. With turnkeys, because the teams are already set and everything's done, I'll be like, I'll take one here and I'll take one here. And yep, how about we take one over there? Right. You know, you can do what, <clears throat> excuse me, do whatever you want. And so like, I, I do recommend that. Like, and it goes both ways. Like, yeah, buy one from every provider possible. But if you find a provider that you really jive with and you're really having a good look with, stick with it. Like, mm -hmm. go for it. Like, maybe wait until the market shifts and then change then. Because getting, you know, turnkey providers, people think that because they're hands-off and all this kind of stuff that they should be perfect. And they're just not perfect. And, you know, I always say, like, if there's humans in the equation, there's room for error. Mm -hmm. So because not everyone's perfect, you know, turnkey providers aren't perfect. So when you find one that you really jive with, keep doing it. But you know, what you say about the whole, like the numbers thing is huge in so many regards. Like the more properties you have, the more you can afford, like in today's time where we don't know if people are going to pay rent. If I have 10 properties and two properties don't pay rent, you know, those kind of help balance each other out. But if I only have two properties and two properties don't pay rent, you know, I'm in a lot bigger of a pickle. Right. Um, so number of properties helps with risk. Um, diversifying between property types, different markets helps with risk. And then even on the buying side, like you mentioned, if you're one person in a thousand, you don't really have a lot of leverage. But like if you work with a company like mine or any of my competitors for that matter, even if you're only buying one property, you're part of a bigger buying power because those, you know, like if I say, oh, I like this, um, XYZ turnkey company and I send all these if I send a hundred people to XYZ turnkey company They should be pretty motivated to take care of my people because if they screw over one person They could lose the whole hundred people Whereas if you the one in a thousand person shows up on XYZ's door and they're like, I'll take a property. They're like, okay You know, yep. so in real estate the more numbers you have whether it's your support system whether it's your number of properties Whether it's how many materials you're buying whatever like always always helps Yep, exactly. I couldn't 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 agree more with you. Um, as we come to the end of the show, what are you what are you seeing for yourself, both with hipster investments, but also personally as in twenty twenty? Um, what, what's what's in store? Well, anything I thought I saw in twenty twenty, <laughs> I, I saw a meme the other day. It said uh, something like what 2020 ended up looking like and it's a slide but it's a kid going down a slide but the slide's a cheese grater <laughs> it's like oh so true um you know the company i'm really trying to work uh, a lot with this newer model just because it's really it's fun and exciting that's my thing is like i want things that are exciting because turnkeys while they're still fantastic they've gotten a little bit stagnant just because, you know, like we talked about, the prices have gone up and whatever. So this new model is really fun. I've been to Baltimore and Philly now a couple times in the last three, four months to work with these guys. Like it's just fun and exciting. Um, so I'm trying to build that, always trying to look into new markets, have new offerings for people. Me personally, um, but still related to real estate, I am, I actually have all sorts of papers over here. I'm about 90 to 95% done with my first book. Congratulations. And it is. Thank you. I have one last round of the read through it one more time. And dear God, 
any edits past that. Like I, you know, it's, it's the last ditch effort. Um, but the formatting's done. Like it should be, I'm hoping it'll be out like actually purchasable in the next month, two months at the very most, just cause I'm not I'll very smart on that process. Um, what's it called? It is called not your how to guide to real estate investing. Nice. Is so the, it's is VP uh, involved. No. Oh, no. they're not. Okay. No, I've, I've, uh, God bless them. I, <laughs> I've, <laughs> I don't I've know been the involved history, with, so. uh, I've been involved with BP since 2000, early 12. I have like 170, 180 articles I've written for them. I'm, I've always been active on the website. Um, but outside of that, I, there's, um, they're a great starting point, but I yeah. have, I, you've you evolved. Know. You've, you, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I, I guess my, my most objective kind of beef with it is because there's so much information on there now. I feel mm. like it can get people in trouble um, yes. because there's no checks and balances about who's talking, right? Like right. this guy is like, oh, here's everything you need to know about flipping. We don't know who this guy is. Like, you know, and so there's, I, I get a little itchy about that. Um, but no, I'm not involved with them uh, on the book, but it's uh, not your how-to guide to real estate investing, life lessons for hacking your mind before you hack your wallet. Mm, so the idea of it. it is, yeah, it's like a, um, uh, well, what it says, not your how-to guide. It is a, it's a mindset book. You know, like I know when I got into real estate, there were so many things conceptually that I didn't understand. Like if you look into real estate investing, it's like, here's how you flip a property. Here's how you wholesale. Here's how you be a landlord, but nobody ever talks about what I like to think of kind of like the prerequisites to all that. Like what exactly are you wanting to accomplish? Cause people are like, I'm going to wholesale. I'm like, did you want a second job? Or yeah. like, you know, they're, they don't, they're only doing it because that's what everyone says they should be doing. So right. that's what this book is really kind of intending is like to give you all of that background mindset information. Um, you know, what's the difference in investing versus working? People mm -hmm. don't realize when you get into investment strategy, how much work it might take. Um, stuff like that. So I'm super excited about it. I'm hoping to put one out on the coattails of that. Uh, not your how to guide to rental properties, just cause I've, I've written so much about rental properties anyways, like give a big breakdown to rental properties, but this first one, so the life lessons part, you know, all of the lessons, the things that are talked about in it could be transferred to real life in my opinion, you know? Got so, That's awesome. um, yeah, so I'm super excited about that. So as soon as that comes out, I'll let you know and let yeah, you we'll, we'll, we'll get, but we'll do another show and I'll, I'll we'll, have to a book, we'll have to do a book swap. I've got two books you can have. Nice. Uh, and, Perfect. and, and, uh, my, my only advice is, uh, um, perfect is the, is what is it? The, the, the root of evil or whatever it is like perfect is as good. It's a, the 80, 20 rule. Like just get it done. I'm uh -huh. sure it's going to be great. Get it out there. No, and I, it's so funny. Cause I was watching, uh, I literally have a sheet of paper here somewhere. Um, I was watching shark tank the other night and it was either, uh, Robert Hershevac or Mark Cuban. I think it was Mark Cuban that said he told one of the entrepreneurs, per, uh, perfection is the, yeah, it's a perfection uh, something is, right? It's like perfection is... The, uh, something to growth. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's yeah, stifling. I literally have it written here somewhere because I like every time I try and start getting a little perfectionist on this book, it's like... Don't. Just get don't. the freaking thing out. I'm like, it's, wait, it's but really, there's one more edit. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 here's the other thing. Like, and my, my only advice to it is all is that... And you, you probably have a different following than I do and you're probably bigger and better than I am. But it's not the one book or the one pitch is not going to change your world, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like your first deal. Your first deal is not going to change your world. It's the 10th mm -hmm. deal that you do is yeah. going to change your world. So think of it like a turnkey and that you yeah. need 10 or 12 of them before you're actually going to, you know, like your mass, a portfolio of books yeah. and publishing. So 
And yeah, and to that point, so much of what my book coming out is talking about is exactly that is like, you know, what's the balance of having enough education to get started without completely collapsing yourself versus right. getting into analysis paralysis where you're not actually doing a deal like how do you decide when's the time to try something? Because real mm -hmm. estate investing is it's on the job training. Like you can exactly. only learn so much and then the rest of everything you're going to know. And I use an analogy in it, which I learned when I was flying. My dad was actually, I'm going to tell you my analogy after you tell me yours about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, my dad was a pilot. So when I was in flight school and you know, we talked pilot stuff all the time and he made a comment, I think this was just a couple of years ago. He was saying how, you know, if you go to get an airline pilot job, that you have to have a certain number of flying hours to mm -hmm. qualify. And why is that? Because flight training, as my dad called it, he said, flight training is meant to teach you how not to kill yourself. Everything else you're going to learn is you have to learn as it's happening. Like it's on the job. And that's why airlines require flight hours because they assume if you've had a certain number of flight hours, you've learned all that extra stuff. Like you can only learn so much in flight school. It's exactly the same as real estate is you've got to learn enough to not kill yourself. but assume that, you know, it's not going to be perfect from the get go. And if you're waiting until it's going to be never going to happen. So I've got chapters in there about like failure, which, you know, concept of failure and, mm -hmm. you know, like how do you decide when to get started? What do you do? What do you do when you completely screw it up and you lose everything, you know, like stuff like that. So that well, actually my, sound my, like other books. My, 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 my analogy is, um, it's like, so I'm, I'm a big into fitness and it's like, you mm -hmm. don't lose weight by reading about it you actually got to go through the freaking Ooh, i like that one you got, you got to go and get on the treadmill and it's going to suck for the first yep. six months but it becomes part of your dna yep. but you don't learn about it you don't learn you don't get ripped or you don't get to the the, the goal that you want to be physically by yep. reading about it consistently reading about it. you've eventually got, you've actually got to go in the gym and do the hard work yep. so Ugh. um <laughs> but Not anyway, right now you don't. <laughs> it's all it's all home home workouts, and, 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 yeah, which so. translates for me to not working out. I'm like, yeah. oh. um, but Ali, at the end of every show, I like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yep. So, what the number one question? Also, the number one question. The first question is: What is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Oh. Um, I'm trying to find that out now. <laughs> like, you know, it's funny because we're in quarantine and I'm like, I am so unstructured. <laughs> I'm like, so I don't know that I could be operating less efficiently right now. Well, um, but, but like, what do you do if COVID-19 to one side, what, is there anything you do in the mornings or you, you read, you take some quiet time, you go for a run. Is there anything you do to help you sort of just, just center yourself? For the so day? a funny story, I was actually interviewed. I can't remember if it was like business insider or something last year. And I basically what I called came out of the, um, soap opera closet. And so it was this whole article about how sometimes, you know what I wake up cause I'm not, I have my own schedule. I wake up and I'm just like, uh, I'm not really feeling, and I end up watching an episode of my soap opera instead. <laughs> and everyone's like, it. wait, you watch soap operas? I'm like, obviously. Um, <laughs> but no, it, um, for me, and this is something I've been looking at for myself because I have so many friends that can set their whole schedule and like, what's their, you know, do they meditate for 10 minutes? Like what's their thing? And I am such a go with the flow person. Like hmm. if I don't have an internal drive driving me, I don't do it. Like I'm not very self-disciplined. And so, you know, with this book, it's been a total roller coaster of like, I don't want to touch it. Okay. I really want to do it. And it, you know, it's learning to kind of. Harness like, that energy, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's important to say that, you know, if people are thinking about getting into real estate, like 
not, you know, you might be a lot more disciplined than I am, but really finding the thing that actually does drive you. So for me, it's almost to the far extreme because then I don't get a whole lot done either. But, um, you know, finding that thing that's going to pull you forward versus forcing yourself to, Oh, well, I'm going to do this at two o'clock and four o'clock. And, you know, so, um, I'd say the most important thing that I do is I am huge on sleep. I go to bed when my body wants to go to bed and I wake up when it wants to wake up. If I start telling it when it's going to wake up, I get really unproductive just because I'm like groggy and full on night owl type of, you know, so I'm actually a really bad person to give any advice. Well, no, that's, that's that, but that's it. That is an answer. Do everything opposite from what I do. (laughs) (laughs) If you want daily productivity, (laughs) don't follow me on that one. Question number two is who is the most influential person in your career to date? Ooh, to date. Uh, well, can I give I, two quick answers? Sure. Oh, I would say a real person and a not real person. Uh, the not real person who is a real person uh, all day long. Robert Kiyosaki's teachings have been mm-hmm. such a driver. Obviously my entire mindset, everything changed the first time I read rich dad, poor dad, as it does for most people. But I really, I read so many of his books and I know that my investing and my business success would not be there if it weren't for so many of the things I read in his books, like even small things, like just little zingers that changed everything for me. So that's like the person I don't know. And then person I do know, uh, he's really how I kind of started in this whole business. He was in the turnkey space. He was whatever, but he was living the lifestyle that I wanted, which was sleep in when I want travel when I want. Like he was exuding this lifestyle and I kept looking at him. I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like I needed to take advice from him. And he ended up being my mentor for the first, uh, I mean, he's still around, but for the first five years or so of my business, he was critical because I couldn't ask like, you know, my parents are smart and successful and whatever, but they, it was a very different scenario. Like I couldn't, they were like, you should definitely go back to your corporate job. And I'm like, that's not at all what I'm looking for, but thank you. But this guy was it. So he really became a critical mentor because it wasn't just on the logistics side. It was a sanity side. Like mm-hmm. I lost my sanity. I can't tell you how many times with entrepreneurship and everything. Cause it's crazy town. Um, and he, because he had been there, he was able to reel me back. So personal mentor, author mentor for sure. Love it. Love it. Question number three is what is the most influential tool in your real estate business? And when I say tool, it could be a phone, it could be uh, a journal, or it could be a software that you use that you just can't, you can't not run your business without it. So what, what is that number one tool? Mine is kind of email. (laughs) I I email with everybody. Um, I would say just online in general, because my whole business is based online. You know, I was a writer or am a writer. All of that was online. And it really speaks to the location independence situation because all I have to do is if I, I can travel anywhere in the world, as long as I have my laptop, I can still work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, online, because my company is so network based, that's how I meet everybody. Like, you know, if, if the internet wasn't around and I had to meet people at, you know, Rio events or whatever, like, I'm not going to meet that many people, but the internet is just such a freaking like the mother load of resources. Cause I get to meet so many people. It's how I connect with the seller. Like everything I do is on the internet. So, and as much as I sometimes kind of hate the internet, I hate to even like attribute everything to it and give it that much, many props, but it's kind of true too. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, question number four is in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? Um, 
I've always had one set answer for this. I'm like, has that changed recently? <laughs> like, um, I'll, I'll stick with the, uh, the original. Uh, it's probably been the most costly failure was that very first deal that I said I had pursued before turnkeys was a, don't laugh, pre-construction development uh, investment in Nicaragua, the third world mm. the country. And it. it was, this was no small deal. This was, uh, Wyndham Hotels was in on it. Yep. Jack Nicholas Golf Course design was in on it. And this was huge. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, this sounds like a scam. But I ended up, you know, pursuing it. I went, I went to Nicaragua so many times. Like, it was all legit. But as so many developer stories go, all of a sudden the money disappeared before anything ever got built. So yep. my very first intentional real estate investment was $40,000. And to this day, I've never seen a penny of it. But wow. you know, the important thing in that is that supposedly I'm going to, but I can't tell you how many years later that is now. Um, is, you know, that was my, that was right out of the gate, $40,000 down the toilet. Yep. And most people that would be, that's like, ah! yeah. And I wanted, I was like, screw real estate. This is terrible. But it, it, it took that to, it made every, it made me realize what was important. And that $40,000 basically led to every, it's why I have everything I have. So it's like, you know, it's reframing the perspective. Like I talked about in the book, it talks a lot about failure of like, yeah, losing $40,000 totally blows an ass, but you know, what does that then, you know, how do you navigate that? And how do you make that work? You know, how do you get your $40,000 worth even if you don't see that actual money. So that was, that was the biggest one. And I think it had the extra zing on it just because it was literally the first one right out of the gate. And that's, that's why I'm sticking with that one because I think it's so important for people to understand that, you know, when those things happen, it's about going forward, persevering past them. Get dusting off the knees and getting back on the horse. Yeah. Yeah, I love or it. Or crawl on your knees. That's <laughs> you're cool. Like, your knees. You're whatever, still making you forward do. progress. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, final question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? So uh, I set something up for you guys or for your, your folks. Um, let me double check. So if they go to, I set up a link, um, hipsterinvestments.com slash investus. Uh, I put an offer on there. So I've had a turnkey rental properties ebook. Uh, I've been selling it for years. It's currently for sale for $14.99. I put it on there for you guys to be able to get it free. Um, so if you're interested in turnkeys, investing in the U S or invest in the U S uh, invest U S so I N V E S T U S. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so you can get the ebook for free. It's normally $14.99, but also on that uh, page, you can have, you can get all of my contact information, reach out. Like I said, if you haven't figured it out already, I'm a people person. I love connecting with people, even if it's just to say, hi, tell me you heard me on the podcast. Um, yeah. So go that, uh, get the free ebook, reach out, you know, it's got all my social media, email, all that kind of stuff. Love it. Love it. Well, Ali, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I want to reflect a few of the things that I took away from today's show. I think he's first and foremost is your energy. Love it. Uh, it's Thanks. very, very, it comes through. I, but what I really like is you're leaning into your brand recognition from mm -hmm. the, uh, the hipster investments. And it's so important when you are creating a brand for yourself to try and weed out as much 
um, subconscious BS from yeah. people like just through the name and you have been able to do that. It's nearly a marketing thing that Mostly. you know, you, yeah, you're not going <laughs> like, to, you're not going to deal with people you don't want to deal with because yeah. of the name of the, of the company, which is super important when you're coming to think of a name. Yeah. And so you're able to pigeonhole yourself into people who you only want to work with. And hopefully that is opened up so many more doors yeah. because people then respect you for that. Right. Because yeah. you say, well, I'm doubled down on this name and screw you and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I like, think I've said that exactly. I'm like, Oh, do you hear me say that somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> sounds yes. like me. <laughs> but, but I think it's also, it's a client filter. And, and I think what the most important thing that I took away from today is that it, it's more about the relationships and the people when creating a brand and creating yeah. a business that is that you want to do business with. And we spoke yeah. about, you know, my, my, my litmus test is the beer. Um, but yeah. yours was, you know, trying to connect with people. And, and I think having that at the fundamental core of any business is super super important and we'll make sure that your business is here for the longevity right it won't yeah. just be a flash in the pan like some of those uh turnkey invest uh turnkey investment companies that were in yeah. 2012 that screwed over a lot of international folks yeah. but um did i leave anything out no i you know that last part you said it's really the difference between transactional relationships and long-term relationships the more transactional companies try and get or you try and get or you know when it's about every dollar and like how can i get the most like it and it can be hard sometimes because i'm not transactional about it you know staying in it for the long haul it can be tough because i i know i lose out on some money sometimes mm -hmm. for sure especially when i really need it and i'm like oh but you know, it's, it, that is a huge thing. No, I, I love your summary points and they're all very true. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Awesome. I look forward to it. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam packed with some incredible advice from Ali. Please make sure you do get over to her website, which is hipsterinvestments.com uh, forward slash invest US and click on the download link for the ebook. I want to thank you again for taking some time out of the day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ about real estate investing because that's what we're all about here on this show. I'm going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack.